Okay. <laughs> I was looking at Panasonic CES news. Yeah. Making I sure. mean, I, I was closely watching Panasonic CES news because I thought, you know, this could be the time. I don't want to come out. I didn't want to miss anything. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and stop my watch here because it's been six minutes since I put my tea into my tea. And so now I'm going to take it out now of my tea. tea. Yeah, it's, now it's, it's tea time. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do this thing. They released a palm shaver. <laughs> I saw that in the show notes and I was like, what are these people's, what's wrong with these people's palms when they need shaving? Man, I, so what is this I saw that and I was like, that can't be for hairy palms. <laughs> this is, this is a really poorly named product. And it's obviously like I dug deeper into it and it's like a, like a, you know, for your face or whatever, but it's like it's palm size. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I saw that. Boy, was that a bad name. <laughs> it really is. I, I'm i kind of not opposed to the product. Like, I totally get it for travel or something. Yeah, it's, it's like a cute little thing. Cute little razor. Mm-hmm. Tiny. Yeah. Size of your palm. Smaller than your palm. Support, fits, fits right in it. Supports USB-C charging. Shoot. You wouldn't even need to bring mm-hmm. a charger with you. Yeah, exactly. Did you happen to notice, um, so first off, first off, I like that they're talking about how they're also uh, launching brand new attachments for the multi-shape which they describe as a modular personal care system. I, like, I, I, that's something we all need in our lives. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> like you described it to me? No idea. Yep. Same here. And uh, the other thing I thought was interesting is that this palm shaver is available in the U.S. in September 2024. So they just really wanted to get in there early in CES and get you hyped about this thing because you've got to wait nine months before you can even get That's it. That's how long it takes to stock the shelves, man. Apparently. You're going to be walking through your, your Target or your Best Buy or whatever in Costco. There's the Panasonic Palm Shaver. Yep. They're, they're having to start producing them right now because there's going to be so much demand for this thing that you know they're, they're not going to be able to keep just, them on the shelves. It's, they're just trying to hit that hot holiday season in 2024. They have they have these this crack photo team that's coming up with picture perfect camera names like the S five Mark II, but they can't name their razor in personal hygiene products. I mean, like, there's gonna be kids walking through Costco and they're gonna see the palm shaver and they're gonna go hee 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 hee, and their mom's gonna be like, "Stop it!" <laughs> that's exactly right. I don't know, though. It got us to talk about it. So maybe they're the real winners here. (laughs) Oh, that's the strategy. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. I was thinking on the way over here that maybe we should talk about strategies for shooting in the cold because how horribly cold it is outside and then i realized that neither of us actually know any of those strategies because this is an anomaly yeah and we're blessed to live in a warmer climate that's right my strategy for shooting in the cold is don't i love it that's so good (laughs) to stay inside i've seen some things on the internet where people are like oh you know i'm gonna be taking these pictures in negative whatever like like, what do I need to do to prevent the condensation on my camera? Or, like, how do I acclimate? They're like, oh, well, leave it in your bag outside for a little bit. So, blah, blah, blah. So, like, you don't get 
you know, fogging or whatever on your lens when you take it out. And like some things aren't rated to shoot below a certain, man, I don't think about that stuff yeah. ever. Yeah. I mean, those are all great points. Those are probably like, it's good to ask those questions if you're going to be shooting in that environment. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I am lucky didn't have never had to deal with that. Yeah. I guess we're not equipped to give that advice. Yeah. I don't think so. We can tell people how to shoot in hundred degree weather. Yeah. Don't like, don't leave your camera in the sun. Bring, yeah. Maybe bring a cooler and leave your camera in the cooler until right before you shoot. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We have actually considered doing that before. Yes, we did. <laughs> Daniel, how do we waterproof these so we can so it doesn't have an issue whenever we put them on the ice? <laughs> All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Okay. At, so since we're not talking about that, yeah, what do you the, want to talk about? At the end of the, at the end of the last show, uh, you you were like, "Oh man, that's what are you going to bring like larger film formats next time or something?" And uh, so I did that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> okay. The largest film format that I could find is the Polaroid 20 by 24. Now, what units are those? Inches. American inches. I, that's a lot of film. That's one. <laughs> that's a lot of film. One exposure is a 20 by 24 inch. Oh, wow. Card. <laughs> I bet that's not cheap. Oh, yeah. They made these puppies in, golly, I think it was like the 70s or something. And I probably got that wrong, but they made like five or six of these cameras that could do this thing. And it was just, it was like very few and it was kind of like a novelty. Mm. And I think that there are, okay, sorry, six were made and five are still working. Wow. And they produced, they produced film for these things up until like, Mm, 2017 I think and at that time there was like 500 boxes of exposures left on the market I mean that's honestly kind of surprising if there's only six of the cameras yep like like how how does that work I mean do they they stock these things in stores across the country or whatever or like is there like one place that sells it I mean how does that work man I have I have no idea it was like Polaroid made them I'm, I'm like mixing up my notes here Polaroid made them until like 2008 and then there wasn't any. And then this this studio came in, Twenty Four Studio, and they were like, "We're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna start releasing film again for these twenty by twenty four uh, Polaroid cameras." And so they made them from like twenty ten to twenty seventeen. And now, like, you just can't you just can't get any. And so if you if you do find one of the few novelty places that still has a twenty by twenty four camera, I mean, the the cost to do that, the cost to get the picture yeah. just going up and up because you Man. can't get the film anymore. No kidding. What did people do with this thing? It was just like super, super niche. I think it was mostly a marketing stunt. That's that's basically it. I bet the camera looks ridiculous. Okay, I'm gonna we're gonna read you this this Wait, like wouldn't the wouldn't the back have to be like the size of a pizza box? Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. <laughs> so is okay, it's it's a plexiglass sheet taped to the front of the lens and the like give you a like a mirror or something so that or like it's like you look at that plexiglass sheet so you can see your reflection so you can frame it so the person who's like looking is framing themselves by looking at this plexiglass sheet and then it's equipped with this fuji fujinon 600 millimeter f11 lens <laughs> and they can stop that thing down to like f90 a <laughs> <laughs> little pinhole yep yep and uh, you could get different focal lengths for this. It wasn't just 600 millimeters. You could shoot this thing at 1200 millimeter, 800 millimeter, and I think 135. And it feels like, I mean, I haven't done the math, but with a sensor that size, 
shooting at a 600 millimeter, like, what are you standing three feet away from it? Probably. <laughs> and that's probably like portrait or whatever. Yeah. The, the numbers don't, the that's numbers crazy. aren't real at that point. No kidding. Like, you're not going to convert that to a 35 millimeter equivalent. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's it. I don't know. That's, uh, that's wild. You can, you can still get a few of these. Um, camera, Mark- camera or the film. I think you can still get pictures done. Like, I think there's like one shop somewhere that has a novelty thing. It's oh, like you okay. can go get your 20 by 24 taken and it's going to cost you, I don't know, like 170 bucks or something like that. <laughs> Crazy. I don't think you should get that one. No, probably not. I think that one exposure, like the cost of the film was $125 back in like 2010. Wow. And you're complaining about, you know, a dollar per film roll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you know that for a period of time for Polaroid, uh, Lady Gaga was their creative director? I did not know that. Yep. <laughs> I wonder what that was like. I think it's very cool to how Ashton Kutcher was the like creative director for Motorola for a mm-hmm. period of time. Yeah, well, whatever that means. Yeah, it was very much like that. Yeah. So there are there's a 20 by 24 photo of Lady Gaga. Do you think she was wearing the meat dress in that photo? No. Nah, that's disappointing. I don't even remember the meat dress. <laughs> We'll put that in the show notes. Don't don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> so yeah, none none bigger. There you go. Interesting. That's giant uh, giant Polaroids. Yeah, that's that's too much. It's too far. You think so? Wait. So if it's Polaroid, can you do you, do you develop it by shaking it? Yeah. So they actually had different film types. You could get a color pod, like a color negative, and a color positive self developing. I don't think you like take it out and like shake it like crazy. <laughs> I'm just imagining needing like a team of four people, you know, to make that happen. I think that they developed the, like the color positive on like on site. Like, I don't necessarily it was like a shaky shaky, uh, but it was like they had a few okay. like, you know, stick it in the chemical and like yeah. then put it in a stopper and that sort of thing yeah. and to develop it there. Interesting. Still, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Okay. I have another, another show update here. We were teasing doing a camcorder episode. Yep. I remember that. It's still, still going to happen. Still excited it's for coming. it. It's mm-hmm. coming. But I want to talk about a camcorder. <laughs> so this is like a, like a preview for that topic? It's like a, it's like a teaser okay. almost. An appetizer. Sure. And get you, get you ready, really thinking about it. Have you ever heard of the Sony NEX VG900? I have not. Okay. So in like... Mid mid early two thousand time frame, I, I probably should have written down the exact date, but I don't care that much. It was like two thousand eight, two thousand eleven, something like that. Two thousand ten, Sony released a full frame interchangeable lens camcorder. <laughs> Those words don't normally go together. It, they they there's nothing before this, and there is nothing after this. <laughs> it is a single. A single point in time. Yeah, because normally camcorders have those really tiny uh, sensors. Yeah, like one inch is pretty mm. common for camcorders before the NEX and after the <laughs> NEX. But this stands alone in Sony's lineup as, I think it was like $2,500 when it came out. And it's a it's a basically an A7S II, but a camcorder. <laughs> That's really interesting. I mean, like, so what was different about it then? I mean, you, you know, you got a different form factor, I guess, but like, what else? Like, like, why would you pick this over a Sony A7S II? Right. I think that it is more that you're looking for something that is 
it's a form factor conversation, right? It's the same thing that we talk about as far as box camera, box cameras and that sort of thing. You're wanting a camcorder style thing for shooting video. Yeah. And you want it to be as cool as possible. And so like you go camcorder style. Well, yeah. I mean, you want to get like that, you know, let's say like between eighties and mid ninety and, and mid two thousands dad look, you know, where like you're just every, every family event, you're running around with that camcorder. Exactly. I mean, this is like the premium version of that. Yep. Yep. It sure is. So let me, let me give you a little bit, of, a little bit of spec information. And then I'm going to tell you, tell you a few upsides, a few of the downsides. All right. So obviously it's full frame. Mm-hmm. E-mount. So you can use your modern lenses on this thing. If you go, if you go find it on the internet. You can get like a G Master and put that on there. Sure could. Yeah. No one's, no one's going to stop you. If you put on a PZ lens, it'll support the power zoom. Because it's got the little rocker on there. Uh, as any camcorder should. I mean, it would sure. be a tragedy if it didn't have it, that. It really would. That sensor is a 24.3 megapixel sensor. Obviously CMOS. You know, there's not CCD in this time frame. And it shoots 1080p up to 60 frames per second. Honestly, feels pretty respectable. Yep. No, no. You can do 422 external. So you can just plug in HDMI and run to an external monitor, stick your Ninja on top of this thing. <laughs> uh, yes, you can You can do 24 frames per second. It wasn't like capped off at 30 or anything. Nice. And it weighs like a pound. That's pretty lightweight, honestly. It's, But it's also kind of a problem because you have this or your camcorder that you're holding in camcorder style. And then on the front of it, say you put that G Master on there and that weighs more than the camera. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so like your lens is is causing this weight distribution oh, yeah, problem. I can see that. Because, I mean, you know, you're taking this to, like, the school play. Because that's that's what this is getting used for. You know, you're filming the school play. Yeah, sure. So you put your 70 yeah, to 200 exactly. on there. Yeah, and then, yeah, that would be a mess. Yeah, it would. You'd be shaking all over the place for mm-hmm. that. So that's kind of that's kind of the real, the real issue here is weight distribution, center of gravity. Mm-hmm. Never really worked out. Yeah, interesting. It did, on the upside, have XLR input. Okay. Yeah. So you can run uh, run your super sick mics into this thing. Yeah. And also it had like a whole, you know, like front microphone array situation, kind of similar to what you might see on a Zoom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, decent, decent audio. You know, honestly, I mean, I I asked about the form factor thing and you kind of, I think you might've used the phrase box camera. This sort of feels like a prototypical box camera. It's very similar, except it doesn't have all the cool mounting points. Yeah. But like if you imagined... Instead of having whatever battery it has, if it had like a little mini V-mount thingy on the back, that would solve your weight distribution sure, problem. It really would. And I mean, if you, if you had modern internals in that thing, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Could be kind of cool. The autofocus on this thing does not hold up. Mm. It's like old, old Sony. Yeah. But like good, but not good compared to now. Sure. Sure. I think one of the big winning features is similar to, you know, something like an Ursa. You got buttons on the side for like zebra and mm. like peaking and white balance, just like right there. That's one thing that a you know dedicated video camera definitely does better than a hybrid mirrorless is having those dedicated buttons. You can stuff you like can that. set your custom buttons to those sure, things, of course. Sure, but this is like it out from the factory. Yeah, yeah, and you got little labels on there and everything. Mm-hmm, Perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a neat product. I'm I'm actually a little surprised they never made another one. I guess, but. I think that they just, people buy mirrorless cameras. Yeah. I mean, the, the specs on this thing aren't really any better than what you're going to get out of something like an A7S II. I guess that's true. Yeah. And and then 
maybe that's more useful if you want to take photos or maybe it's just a form factor you're more familiar with. But I don't know. I think it's kind of neat. I think that this is like it's really geared toward people who think video as as a camcorder form factor and who think that they need a power zoom rocker. Yeah. Which, you know, those people may not be wrong. Maybe they do need that. No one's saying that they are, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're if you're using a camcorder and you're not doing crash zooms, you're doing it wrong. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> you could do the most high quality crash zooms. <laughs> Man, it'd be a real deal. Yeah. What is what are, do you know any of the current power zooms that that Sony makes, so they make like a 20 to 40 or something like that. I'm not even going to try and guess. You're not even going to try? I know they make some because they, the, re- uh, they released this, one with the ZV-E1. Mm-hmm. And I think the FX30 also has that uh, zoom rocker on it. So they definitely have some modern lenses that support it. I just don't know what they are. They make a 28 to 135 and an 18 to 105. Those are good ranges. Yeah. It'd be, those would be pretty good on this thing. Yeah, they would. I think that this is, you still are going to pay over $2,000 for this thing used oh, man. on eBay. <laughs> well, pro- that's probably just because it's so unusual. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I think I quoted it wrong. I think it released at like 3300 Oh, okay. That's pretty high. That's, that's a steep price. So what do you think, Daniel? Should should they keep making these things? Like, do you, are you like, why don't they have a, a VG900 Mark yeah. 7 right yeah, now? Yeah, no, that, I, think, I think they should make this. I mean, I'm all about the box cameras. You know, like we said, this isn't exactly a box camera, but I, it's unique. I like it. I think it's cool. I was, what do you, what do you get out of this that you don't get out of, don't get out of a box camera? It looks sweet. Like, look at it. I mean, you get the little, I, I'm to, to give you a real answer. I think that you get something that you can hold in your hand without adding a bunch of stuff onto it. Right. Because it has a built in display, built in viewfinder. Mm-hmm. Well, and like, honestly, something that I think is really good about camcorders is the little, uh, like strap thing that you get for your hand where, you know, like there's a built-in way to hold it securely. And like you, you know, think about the days before people really like were doing a lot with video and like your average person, you know, didn't really know that much about like stabilization and stuff and cameras didn't have built-in IBIS. Like that little camcorder, like hand glove thing was like a pretty reasonable way for somebody to get more points of contact on their camera without extra work. And it's, it's a pretty comfortable way to hold a camera, more so than a box camera. So if what you want is a dedicated video camera and you don't see yourself like rigging out into a cinema rig, like I don't have a problem with the form factor. So what what we need is like a ZVE1, but in a camcorder form factor. Absolutely. Something something that's like the size of like a small handheld, mm-hmm. like a like handy cam. I think it'd be cool. Okay. All right. I'd be, I, I mean, I'm not saying I'd buy one because, you know, I'm not a Sony bro, but I think it'd be pretty cool. I don't know who would buy one. <laughs> it just seems like all the video stuff has been taken over by the mirrorless form factor to yeah. everyone's disdain. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it has, but, you know, all you need is one viral video on TikTok and then suddenly they can't keep these things in stock. So, so you're just saying that we need to get an NEX VG900 into the hands of a teen. Yes. Yep. I mean, the teens already love those, uh, just like old JVC Sony mm-hmm. camcorders. Yep. So they're over that, there shooting that skateboarding aesthetic. Mm-hmm. They're shooting in like 480i. Mm-hmm. I watched a whole video about that the other day. <laughs> of course you did. They're like, man, you know, for your home videos, why are you, why are you like using your phone or your camera? You should be using a camcorder because <laughs> it like changes the way that you capture memories. And isn't it great and nostalgic? I'm like, 
No. <laughs> no. Nope. It's all fun and games until you have to get that footage off of it and into some format that you can share and save and stuff. What I have an old JVC camcorder, which, oh my gosh, a few things on that. But one of the things is the lens has a scratch on it. Mm-hmm. And after watching that video, what I realized was that's now a feature. <laughs> you might need to put some more scratches on there. I probably should. Yeah. Make it even better. Yep. Add some more character. The other problem with that that camera is that it recorded up to like 480i. I don't think I could do 720. And it you could shoot in 16 by 9. The screen was 16 by 9, mm-hmm. but it squeezed the image. Like whenever you took it onto your computer, the flag in the codec that it used for its video files, which is like an MVI file, like nothing can read it. So you have to like change the file name. So like MP4 or whatever. But when you change the file name, it doesn't like trigger over that it needs to be like a one-to-one for the, the pixel size. And so it just squishes everything, oh, the 16 by 9 into a 4 by 3 oh, aspect ratio. It's like a funhouse mirror. Mm-hmm. And so you have to manually re-encode all of the videos off of that camera into a format that is actually viewable. And it's it's just the most frustrating yeah. thing. Yeah, that's too much. Yeah. I'm like, I don't I don't know how I was supposed to ever use those those files. Yep. For like the entire life of that camera. Is this where your photo backup workflow came from? Like, did you just get used to this idea of having to write like long tool chains of scripts to import the files from your camera? No, I just used, I used a VLC and told it what the aspect ratio was supposed to be and it solved the problem. (laughs) And I would just copy the entire hard drive to my computer periodically. And Uh and I had like duplicates upon duplicates upon duplicates. I know those days. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I have since... I have since gone through a lot of that footage to delete and clear out. I think whenever I was revising my my whole like server photo video structure stuff, I went through and I re-encoded all of those videos, mm. like renamed them and re-encoded everything into MOV and kind of like fixed that problem for archival purposes. It's probably a good decision. That was exhausting. As terrible as that camera was, though, I mean that was kind of where you got your start. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure was. Yeah, recorded. That some, was when you became a filmmaker. Mm-hmm, recorded like vlogs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Recorded. I had a few. I think I had like one, kind of. It was like a film. I don't know what you call it. Let's call it a sketch. There's like one sketch that I recorded. <laughs> this is like thing. a. This is like a. Um, you know, sort of like a bell curve situation where I feel like when you created it, you call it a film, and then now you don't call it a film. But someday you're gonna call it a film again. Whenever I'm when I'm finally have made my first movie. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna be like, this was my first film. And oh sure. boy, yep, yeah. yeah, we're just bringing it back. Yep, yeah. sure, sure, Daniel. I feel like in another world I would have owned an NEX VG900. <laughs> like if you had had a little bit more disposable income mm-hmm. when you got that. Yeah, JVC. like about ten times as much disposable income <laughs> than I would. Which have Which wasn't hard because you got that JVC in college. Yep. <laughs> Not hard to imagine having 10 times the disposable income of college. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh boy. I don't know. I don't, I don't see any, any room in the world for, for camcorders anymore, but that's maybe a topic for a different day. Yeah. It would be interesting still, I think to do a deeper dive on them and like what's out there. Do people still use them? Why would you use one? But that may not be today. 
Okay, I'm just running down these show notes, Daniel. I can't even remember what I put in here, honestly. This is a this is this is just a, a completely disorganized show. But what? No, it's 100 organized, and I put these in a totally correct order. I think I think it might be alphabetical. You're is it alphabetical? Oh it's, my gosh, it does look alphabetical. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, not intentional. And yeah, so I want this next little bit is something I've just kind of been carrying from week to week. And I wanted to get your thoughts on low pass filters. So first I need to make sure I know what a low pass filter is. It's like an anti-aliasing filter. Yeah. So basically it just smooths things out, right? Right. Yeah. So whenever, whenever light hits a sensor, not film, obviously for reasons that we can get into if you want to, but whenever light hits a, like a digital sensor, it has to, like, if blue light hits a red spot, it's not necessarily going to read as red. And it has to kind of, like, interpolate and that sort of thing. And, like, if you have a fine pattern, you can get more A. Yep. Because of the way that the light's trying to, you know, like, look at the pattern and the way the light crosses and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so what anti-aliasing aliasing filter does is it, it blurs the light. Like that's exactly essentially what it's doing, and so that it has a a wider contact patch on the sensor whenever it comes through. Yeah. Yep. And it feels like these things go in and out of in and out of fashion. And it used to be that you know you whenever X trans first came out, it was like we don't even need an anti aliasing filter because of the the X trans color pixel pattern whatever. And like you have all these sub 20 megapixel bare sensors that need an anti-aliasing filter mm-hmm. or low-pass filter. And then I hope I'm really not interchanging those and I'm wrong about it. I'm pretty sure they're the same thing. Anyways, so like you get above 26 megapixels and it's like, eh, it doesn't really matter. And so their low-pass filters went away. And now it's like, look how sharp, look how sharp these images are. We don't even have, we don't even have anti-aliasing in here because we don't need it because they're so sharp. And now it seems like, for especially for video cameras, it's coming back. And now it's like a positive thing because there was some Panasonic camera or whatever that came out. Like, and no, it was the it was the Black Magic one, the Ursa. I was like, now this thing has an anti-aliasing filter in it. And the thing that you've been asking for for years, <laughs> finally, it's here. And I just, I can't decide if these are good or bad. Yeah. And so I wanted to get your opinion. Because I mean, I guess it's another piece of glass between the sensor and the image. Sure. Which, yeah. It's you gonna, know, maybe you're losing a little bit of light, or you maybe know, a little bit, yeah, something that way. I mean, I generally feel like I'd rather have fewer things between the sensor and, like, the real life because, you know, it feels like everything is a software problem. Like, you can just, yeah, if you need it to not be as sharp, you can just, you know, not have it be as sharp in post. But I don't know on this because, I mean, the Demosaicing thing on a sensor is a real problem. Uh, you know, clearly, like, there's there's an actual issue that they're trying to resolve with that uh, low-pass filter. And I mean, it does make sense that, you know, the physics aspect of it could like you could get a better result by having that low pass filter on there than you could ever get in post. I don't know if that's true or not, but like it seems like maybe you could. I think it is true because what you're what's happening is like this is between like this is at capture and with, with, with everything. I mean, if you if you don't capture good at source with audio or video or photo or whatever, there's only so much you can do with that data. And yes, like AI and computer blah, blah, blah has gotten way, way, way better. And I bet we'll get to the point where Photoshop or Lightroom has an AI feature in it where you can click a button and it will just 
look at the pattern and go, oh, this is what the pattern is supposed to look like. Boom, fixture aliasing problem. Yep. Or fixture mori problem, sorry. I mean, sure, we're going to get there. I mean, like, I'm looking at my watch. Yeah, yeah, Adobe's going to release that tomorrow <laughs> or something. But we're not quite there yet. And if you can fix it at Capture, mm-hmm. it's, you're just yeah. in a better situation. Well, and I, you know, you mentioned that Blackmagic did it. And I don't know which Blackmagic camera it's it was. the Ursa 12K. But, you know, a lot of, like, we use uh, Blackmagic Ursas for some live production stuff. And so one reason this could really come into play is if you're doing live production, you know, you don't have time, you know, or processing power to do a bunch of, you know, like processing on the video. Right. Makes a lot of sense for that. Oh, definitely. So that could be one reason they did it in that camera. But I don't know. I don't think I really have a strong opinion about it. Should, okay. should I? I feel like I should. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm a podcaster. I feel like I need to be like strongly opinionated on everything. Yeah, yeah. You definitely should. You should be, you should be either highly opposed or highly in favor <laughs> there's no room in between of optical low pass filters and i personally as a self-declared x-trans bro am totally against them maybe you should use a better sensor technology <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no no not really I, I i would rather have nothing in front of the sensor and put like buy a filter or something and kind of be able to choose when I need to apply yeah. some sort of optical, you know, revision to my image. Yeah, I was kind of wondering sensor. that too. Like, could you get the same result by using like a very light, uh, you know, Cinebloom, Promist, you know, something like that? Yeah, something like that. That's going to fall. I think you could, honestly. I mean, it seems like for video, everyone's always trying to soften it up. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm being exaggerated when I say everyone. But it feels like in a lot of circles and a lot of things where you're, oh, let's make it look filmic or whatever. They're like, it's just too sharp or too digital, and we're trying yeah. to, trying to smooth things out and make things look worse. Yep, yep. I and agree. I, it's just it's just kind of the same the same thing. And I feel like I want to be able to make that decision myself rather than like I want a camera that gives me the options. Yeah. I want to be able to kind of choose those things per application rather than always being an anti-aliasing. Yeah, I think I can agree with that. And, you know, like you don't want to make that decision at purchase. So right, I do feel like when I, I mean, this is it's a it's not apples to apples, but whenever I went from my GX camera to my Fuji camera, uh, it was they were, I thought it was noticeably sharper, but like also it was better glass, better sensor. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, I don't it's think bad, you really bad comparison. That. So maybe maybe not worth yeah. bringing that up. But okay, I need you to work on work on your your strong feelings. Yeah. And come come back with a little more a little more vigor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll spice. try to I'll try to get angry about something next yeah, time. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, dang it, Lucas! <laughs> I told you never to bring up optical bypass filters me again because I just can't stand it. I would say I would flip this table, but we have our microphones clamped to it, so I probably shouldn't do that. I mean, may, may, actually, maybe you should, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Next topic, totally unrelated. Have you tried this thing out yet? The uh, the, so you're talking about this Resolve remote monitor feature? Uh-huh. I have not tried it yet, so okay. you're going to tell me we're, about it. No, we're not even going to talk about it. <sighs> we're not going to talk about it. Tease, teased. We'll talk about it later. I've been using Sidecar for with my iPad for my Mac, and so I'll be doing like Resolve editing whenever I'm not at my at my monitors, and I'll use the clean. You can use your clean feed. Just to your seconds. To say, if you have two monitors, you can say send the send the clean feed out to mm-hmm. this monitor. I do so that with my multi monitor setup at home yeah. sometimes. It's great. Like you have that Ben Q, mm-hmm. push your clean feed out to it. You can see real good. Like this is what it looks like. I've done that with my iPad using Sidecar, and it kind of mostly works. 
except sidecar is a little janky. Like sometimes it just stops connecting and like I move my mouse to the side of my computer and I'm just like, oh no, I can't, I can't do anything. That's a shame because I, that, that's, that's what I would have been afraid of with the feature like that. And it's a shame to hear that it does happen. I really wish it was 100% reliable because I super love if I'm like set up somewhere at home that's not at my desk, being able to like pop up my iPad and have a clean feed with a good display mm-hmm. that I can just like see the video over here big and then be editing over here and, you know, be able to kind of like pick out the details and make my adjustments in a way that's like more viewable and manageable. And when it is working, is it pretty like how what's the lag like? It's almost like non-perceivable to me. Yeah. As far as like the work that I'm doing, like hitting spacebar to play, there it's basically in sync with the main monitor. That's cool. Like Sidecar is shockingly good when it works, and I think that I'm on maybe a like a 50% hit rate on it actually working, mm. which is super frustrating because yeah, sometimes too low. like you go up there and you hit the little display button and you're like, let's do this thing, and like you're just doing it. You're all set. Like yep. You can like move your little mouse over there and use it in iPad mode, or you can use it as a separate display, and it's so good. And then five minutes later, it just stops working. Yeah, that's a shame. But then, then you were like, Lucas, why aren't you using this DaVinci Remote Monitor app? And then I, I just didn't. Yep. That's an app that's in the App Store, and I think it's meant to be used, like, I think you can do it over the internet, even. Yeah, isn't the, is, it was something that they released in that giant show that they did last fall, where I was like, here's all this stuff, and there was they were doing all their comp- cloud to cloud to camera, and like uploading straight to DaVinci Resolve, and they like added all the cloud storage and this sort of thing. I don't did, I don't know if they released this and that. I think this might have been around before that. You think so? Yeah, it could be wrong, but regardless, it's something that you can install on an iPad, and then you can view over the network a live feed from Resolve, and you know, for a client or whatever the case may be. But because that's not, you know, requiring the computer to have everything in sync, like it just feels like it might be a better connection than the sidecar thing. So it'd be interesting to try. It seems like the big downside of using something like this would be that for sidecar, it's you basically have a second monitor. And so like clean feed is just one option. You can do more things. Like if you want to like move your tools and stuff over, that can be really helpful, especially for whenever you're color grading. That gets, man, oh, I can get cramped. Yeah, I can see how sidecar sidecar be more flexible, but you know the fifty percent hit hit rate thing's a problem. Like it would just be interesting to try this and see if it's more reliable. Yeah, so I have downloaded it now, and I will be able to report back with more, uh, more feedback on how how this actually works. Cool, something to look forward to. Okay, next on Lucas's random <laughs> list of topics, <laughs> you know what, Daniel? <laughs> what am I going to name this episode? To be like Lucas's grab bag. No, I mean maybe. maybe. I think you're going to name it after this viewfinder camera no. because this thing is ridiculous. Let's pull this up. Yes, please, please open, please open the link in your show notes. Yep, uh, I got it. If you're driving, please pull over and go ahead and open up this link. First thing, first challenge is pronouncing it. It's just viewfinder without vowels. Yeah, what's but, so but like, hard? How, like how do you say those names in your head? Because I, I feel like I've, I I want to like cram the whole word together. Say <laughs> it faster. Kind of kind of mumbling a little bit. You know, like viewfinder. You know, like I don't know. I don't I can't even do it. It's just a it's an internal mental thing. Sure, sure. But then what's this other name? That's just like the name of the thing, Kier, Kieran, yeah. or something. Viewfinder Kieran. Yeah, I think that's the. You know what? I'm gonna just assume that's the name of the company. I think it's not really the name of the company because this is a camera by Nuevo. 
but it's like the viewfinder Kieran, right? There, there, there is. That's the camera. Okay. So what is it? Well, I want you to describe it to me. Like physically? Yeah. Well, look at this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty weird looking. It, it's you're it, weird looking. It looks like a camera, but it's got sure. rounded edges. Rounded. It's like it's not rounded corners. It's like rolled, rolled edges. I think would be. It the reminds term. me of like it's a. It looks like it's aluminum, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe like a MagSafe charger that plugs into your laptop. Maybe. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird, weird little design. It's just it's. There's no grip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like a rectangle with with totally rounded sides. Yeah. Like a was up here. A perfect radius, mm-hmm. and the top half is smooth, and the bottom half is corrugated. Yeah, and it appears to be made out of aluminium. I mean, I'm into it. I like the way it looks. It's got like a looks like it has a fixed lens on it, maybe. Yeah, I think it does. And it's a it's a panoramic camera. And isn't it only a panoramic camera? Like, I don't think you can take a regular picture with this thing. Well, that's the thing, Daniel. It's not, and people are. Angry. <laughs> <laughs> but a little bit more about the physical design first, because the other thing I think is interesting about this is that, you know, it's a digital camera, so there's a screen on the back. The screen is only the top half of the back. Yes, it is. Like, it's a really weird looking. It's style. only the top half of the back, but it's also almost the entire width of the back. Yeah. And there aren't any physical controls on this beyond the shutter button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like they have a touchscreen for everything else. Yeah, I think they have actually a button on the front. Mm-hmm. But so you have this, the top half of this camera on the back is all screen. Mm-hmm. And the buttons to change like your ISO and your shutter speed are on the screen. <laughs> and then next to it is is the display for the panoramic. This is like a camera that's made to look good, but not to be easy to use. Now... If you scroll down just like a little bit, mm-hmm. let me mute that video. Scroll down a little bit and watch the video. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Did they just put a monitor on top of it? Is that what I'm seeing? It's there? a viewfinder that connects to the top and uses magnets and witchcraft to give you a panoramic viewfinder. That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, I would never like use this as my main camera, but I can't help but like the design. I think it's neat. It's pretty neat. And this is, I mean, this is basically a point and shoot camera, Daniel. Yeah, it pretty much is. It fits with our last week episode. Mm-hmm, it but, sure does. Okay. So you started talking about the sensor. You said, some, you said something about, you know, like people are mad about something with this. So how does it work? What does it do? Okay, let me, let me read this to you real quick. This is a, so, reductionist design studio Nuevo Tokyo has collaborated with designer. Oh gosh, I don't know what I got myself into. I can't read this. Mira Gordy Villa to create a digital camera for panoramic photography. And that's a direct quote from Petapixel. This is a 35 millimeter. It's a 35 millimeter lens, and it's a 60 megapixel full frame sensor. It's basically the same sensor that's in the A7S4. A7S4, I said that wrong. A7R4, which, like, pause. That's a three by two, mm-hmm. 60 megapixel full frame sensor. It's a pretty good sensor. It's a pretty good sensor. And what it seems to me, because this isn't the first, like, point and shoot 60 megapixel full frame sensor that we've seen come out. Similarly, the 
Lua, geez, the Leica. Oh, geez, S three, SL three. Thank you. No, are you talking about the one that's going to come out? The no, it's the one? M. It's the M eleven. Okay. Yeah, uh, the net new the M eleven Leica that just came out uh, is the same sensor. It's that sixty megapixel yeah. sensor, right? So we're starting to see this thing show Which up is more. Basically, the same sensor as what was in the A seven R four because it's like that. Just Sony's the only one that makes sensors, mm-hmm. and it seems like, like hey. That 60 megapixel sensor that we were keeping on hand just for ourselves, for our super fancy high-end, high-megapixel full-frame camera, don't need it so much anymore because now we have an even better full-frame, high-megapixel, fancy-fancy sure. camera. Yeah. So now we're going to sell the old sensor to everybody. Yeah. Trickle-down so trickle sensor economics. Yeah, exactly. And so now we're seeing this sensor mm-hmm. in a bunch of different cameras. And it's just, I find it interesting that, you know, Sony say it's best for themselves. Sure. And they sell off the other sensors. And I feel like we need more sensor manufacturers. I think you're right. Like just one more. It's not canon. I do think you're right. But I also, this is something that's exciting about photography and about seeing advances in this stuff. Because like one, you know, we see these new cameras come out and sometimes the first thing we say is, you know, well, why do you really need this? You know, sure, this seems better, but the old ones were good too. And is this, you know, like, is this really for you or whatever? But the other benefit to that is, you know, even if the Sony uh, A7R5 comes out and, you know, it's out of your price range, not something you're going to buy, that does mean that the rest of the technology kind of gets bumped down, you know, like a tier in price. And so it's kind of cool that now, you know, we're seeing these really good sensors available to other manufacturers and sometimes in cheaper cameras. I mean, not in the case of Leica, but, you know, at least it's kind of like getting that technology out there more. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it it is kind of cool. It, it, it's better than Sony keeping it all to themselves, right? Oh, for sure. Definitely. I mean, they're the only ones who are making sensors. So, you know, they kind of have to, they don't have to. What if they didn't? What if they just stopped Daniel and said, we're not going to sell anybody <laughs> else sensors? It'd be brutal. Boy, Apple would be so mad. Yeah, they would. They would start developing their own sensor. <laughs> what would they call it? What would Apple call their camera sensor? Oh, man. Image Plus? <laughs> No, that'd be their subscription service. <laughs> to, the, to the camera sensor. Anyways, Q3 was the word I was looking for. Oh, uh, okay. Anyways. Okay, so we have this We have this 3x2, 60 megapixel, full frame, mm-hmm. Sony sensor. I'm just assuming it's Sony. Who else is going to make this thing? Yeah, it's got to be. And so it, it's a panoramic camera, Daniel. That math, that math don't add up. Yeah. I was going to say, do the math. How are you taking a panoramic image on a 3x2 sensor? Well, see, it crops. You can shoot in 21 by 9, 6 by 3, 6 by 2, or I think 3 by 2 aspect ratios. I always just hate whenever things work that way where, you know, the the special mode is literally just cropping down. And it's not like, I mean, sometimes cameras do that because you can get, you know, faster read speed or you can oversample or, you know, whatever you're doing. Like there can be reasons to crop down, but if you're just getting the same image quality and all it's doing is cropping it down, just like, let me do that in post that like, just give me the, all the information. And if I want it to be a 21 by nine, then cool. But I don't know. I don't like that. This is why everybody is mad. So it's like, obviously, you know, you have the screen on the back that's showing you the panoram and like, that's cool and all. And you're getting, you know, what you think is a, a super wide field of view and it's 60 megapixels. I mean, you're, you have so much resolution sure. across that it's going to be cool and it's, it's going to yeah, work. You can you can crop that down and it's fine. But you are basically throwing away the top and the bottom for 
mm-hmm. arbitrary reasons. Whereas in the film days, <laughs> when you had panoramic film cameras, you were exposing more length of the 35 millimeter film. And you were, you were actually exposing 30, you know, 24 wide by longer in order to get your panoramic photo and you had your lenses and everything to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was like a true panoramic camera. And so whenever these people come out and say, Hey, here's the viewfinder panoramic camera. You got your pano nerds, which as previously mentioned on the last episode, there is a specific community for every type of photography. (laughs) And the little, the panoramic community was like, what are we doing? If you want a real, like, why are you, why don't just like stick two of these sensors in there? Yeah. Come on, guys. Well, I, I've got the solution for you. Okay. I've been thinking on this, and I, I know how we solve this problem. So if you've ever used the panorama feature on, you know, your cell phone, sure, you know that you take your phone and you move it. Yeah. Right? Right, exactly. And that, that builds a panorama. So we talked about the physical design of this thing, where it's like a little rectangle with rounded edges. When I look at that, one thing that I think of is that it looks a lot like a conveyor belt. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm what I'm thinking is you set this thing up so that the sensor and the lens can move along the front of the camera left to right in some sort of motorized fashion and you hold the camera still and press that button that single button that's on there and the camera just slides that lens left to right and that's how you get your panorama. I guarantee that's not what this is doing. But that's okay. <laughs> because I just started a Kickstarter. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a it's genius called, idea. It's called the viewfinder camera, but it has all the vowels. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's it's just exactly what you said. Yes, yes, <laughs> we can do this. Yep, except mine uses a global sensor, and it, it does it like a rubber band, like really fast. <laughs> <laughs> that way you don't have to hold it still. Mm, you hit the button, point. and like, good it point. just like snaps across. Yep. And you have to like watch your fingers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a little <laughs> bit dangerous, but that kind of adds to it. You know, it makes yep. makes mm-hmm. the experience better. Yep, exactly. I think we've got a real winner of an idea. Here. <laughs> sure do. Yeah, these guys need to watch out because you know they're doing this reductionist thing, and we're over here adding more complexity, <laughs> more uh, electronics, more moving parts. What I want in my camera is more moving parts, and that's, that's what this is going to be. Needless complexity. Yes, it's what the people want. It really is. It's definitely what I want. Anyways, this thing is super, super clean looking. It is. Like, it, it, it's kind of given, like, a, a run for its money on the looks. I mean, I, I like the looks. I think it's distinct, and it looks cool. And it's it's basically a Q3 or an A7R4. Like, in terms of the sensor, at least. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, very similar. I don't know what their image processing pipeline is like. Sure. Probably doesn't have they, autofocus. I don't, I don't think they know what their image processing pipeline is like, either. They probably don't need one. Yeah. Anyway. Because this thing isn't out yet. No, this thing is not out. I believe that this is the camera that was announced like last fall or something. And I believe further that it is supposed to come out in the summer. So I think what they said on the Petapixel article, it, it, it originally said that it was going to come out this year. And then they clarified it to say that they're going to have working prototypes this year. I'm just going to say it. This camera is never going to come out. Vapor. Where indeed, actually, I don't think it shoots in three by two. I think it, I think the tallest aspect ratio you can get is six by two. Hmm, weird. Well, it fits their, uh, it fits their positioning of the product for sure. How much so. do you think this thing's going to cost? 
is just nuts it's, looking. It's going to cost too much because they're, you know, they're going to make 20 of them. I don't know. I think it's going to be $5,000. They don't really have, like they have a, they actually have a decent web page, unlike the next camera we're going to talk about. But it seems like most of the information on this camera is on Substack. That's a, that's a choice. It sure is. I don't know. I guess we'll see if they come out with a working prototype. I like that they're trying to do something different here. I like the way it looks, but yeah. What do you think is um, going to happen? Not do, you think, breath. do you think our Kickstarter for the viewfinder camera is going to get off the ground first? Or do you think this uh, Nuevo viewfinder camera is going <laughs> to take off? I don't know if I would bet too much on either of those horses. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll take that. We've got a lot of Kickstarters, you know, a lot of balls in the air. It's going to be a hard to dedicate too much time to this one. So yeah, we'll it's, a really, it's a really good point. Um, I'm looking forward to the uh, the wiggle for Vision yeah. Pro. Yeah. Now, you know, if you had this thing and you can move that sensor back and forth. Dude, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you figured it out. <laughs> we don't even, we don't like, you could take your wiggles with this thing. Yeah, yeah. We can, this is like the, the physical manifestation of the wiggler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but Jesus, perfect. Yeah, it's so. all coming together. <laughs> okay, I got... I think I got one more for you on here. I have a this Lumix SE100. Oh man, I wanted to talk about the other one. We'll have to, uh, but I'm not going to talk about that okay, today. That's good. just the lens. We're okay. going to talk about this other thing. Yes, I've been, okay. I've been curious about this one. Have you looked into this? I have. Okay, this is this is the Nexus project, and this is the one where good luck finding the website. The sheer number of things that are called Nexus. Mm-hmm. You got you got a whole line of Google phones. Whole. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. You can even try Nexus Project. Not going to find it. Buried. Okay, what this is. You remember that Blackmagic camera that we all complained about? Yeah, the one that was supposed to be a Vox camera and wasn't? Well, now the Nexus G1 is essentially that. Tell me more. These people are taking, like, they're taking Blackmagic Po- not po- I guess they're not pocket cinema cameras. Or the Black Magic Cinema Camera 6K that oh, came the, out. No, this this one is the Pocket Cinema 6K G1. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay, they're taking Black Magic Pocket Cinema cameras, and they are rehousing them into a box camera style. <laughs> and so they'll, they're like they're gonna take out all the guts and stuff, put it into a box camera. You can choose to have their lens mount. Or you can leave the EF mount on there. Mm-hmm. You can say, I want you to take the screen and mount it on the side or mount it on the top. And then they're going to put like a V mount thing on the back yeah. for the battery power. Mm-hmm. So like you can slap your V mount on there. And it's like, they're just, they're just like taking the black magic camera and making it a box camera. Yeah. I mean, they even have other things that they plan to put in there. Like they've got an SDI module they've talked about to mm-hmm. give you SDI output. They had something with like, they relocate things like the CFast slot, and then they mention some sort of Nexus drive, like yep, yep. some some sort of storage thing. I mean, this is an involved project. Yes, it is. And it, it reads like people who are doing it in their garage. It really does. Because they like have a Facebook page. Well, it's, it's like two brothers, and then the article mentions a third person who's an industrial designer that's helping him. And suspiciously, that third person has the same last name. So I'm like, is this their dad? <laughs> is this a third brother that they don't want to claim as a brother? Like, what? Or is it just happen to be somebody with the same last name? Who knows? Who knows? So they're they're gonna build this thing out of like polymer, like plastic, mm-hmm. and machined aluminum, 
and they're like, it's lightweight, but it's strong. Like we talked about the V-mount battery. It's like, like they're going to remount the, remount the monitor on it. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just like the most ridiculous thing. Apparently really they're going to add an ND filter somehow. <laughs> it, and, and I think the price that they're intending to hit is $3,000, which, yes. which feels like unrealistically low for the amount of effort that they're putting in here because you know black magic is not selling these guys you know a box of parts like they have to be buying because that three thousand dollars includes the price of the camera right which i think that camera is about fifteen hundred dollars right now yeah something like that and so you've got to buy the camera and then you have some insane amount of labor costs to take that camera apart rebuild it into this thing and then somehow you're going to profit on that i mean just i don't see it I mean, they're doubling the price, right? They're going to buy, they're going to buy Mused on. I mean, they don't have to be working, probably. <laughs> <laughs> they're just going to like buy one <laughs> and fix it. I mean, the biggest question. So I, I like the form factor a lot. This is what a lot of people want from Blackmagic, and so I get what these guys are doing. They're saying like, we'll take it and we'll we'll make what you want. But I mean, the biggest question I would have is support. You know, why would I want to buy this thing? I mean, Blackmagic's not going to support it, and. It just feels like that feels like a bad road to go down. What if the whole thing is just a gambit? You know how like when like when you release cars now, you don't even have to release the car. You can just like draw a picture of a car and be like, it's an EV. And then people will back you. Maybe this is this is basically the same thing. It could be. Like they're goading black magic. They're like, well, if you guys aren't gonna do it, we're gonna do it. So like they release a render of a really cool looking box camera. They've never made one. They're like, we're just gonna we're gonna add all these features that people want with built-in NDs and like V-mount batteries and SDI, and it's gonna be like the bee's knees, and they're just gonna get keep like trying to garner support until Black Magic Sherlock's them, and then they don't have to worry about it. <laughs> and if like they, that was their plan all along, yeah, was exactly. to get Sherlock's, or they sue Black Magic <laughs> <laughs> for stealing their idea. That'd be a bold move. Yeah, it would. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if they want, if you want a Blackmagic box camera, you just speak it into existence <laughs> until the manufacturer makes it for you. Well, as un, as unlikely as that sounds, that feels more likely to me than them actually ever making one of these things and shipping it. It's just, it's so nuts. It really is. I mean, I, I think when I look at it, What's nuts about it to me is just like the audacity of doing this. It just seems wild and like an insane amount of work. Uh, the The engineering behind it, if they actually can get something to work, would be pretty impressive. Like, you know, basically deconstructing an existing electronic device and rebuilding it. Like, that's pretty cool. But <laughs> it's just, it's way too ambitious. Maybe it's not that hard. Like, maybe they don't even like secure it down it's just a few ribbon cables and they move the display around you buy one of these things and you start like moving it and it rattles it's like it's like substantially larger than a black magic 6k and really what they've done is like they have this empty box that they've just bolted it's just a cage they've just bolted a black magic 6k inside maybe that would, that's that's more plausible than any other thing they've said in this article i, I don't know i don't know maybe maybe they've cracked it maybe I think people would buy this. You think they would buy this, like where where they're rehousing a black magic I, camera? I think there is at least twenty YouTubers <laughs> that would buy it. Okay, maybe so. 
it it doesn't seem like anything that would ever be high volume because just simply because of the production work to make it unless they made some deal with black magic to you know buy parts from them which i don't see happening there's just like how are they even making a profit on this? That, I, that's what I don't get. The electric electronic ND, maybe they can get one of those for a couple hundred bucks or less, hundred dollars or something. And maybe they're getting all the other parts that they need from China for, I don't know, less than fifty dollars. So maybe it's two fifty in parts being generous. That leaves them twelve hundred dollars for the labor, mm-hmm. which I, I assume these are highly skilled labor. These are artisan cameras, yeah. hand hand configured. Oh, they have to be. Yeah, like that's you got to manufacture the housing. Maybe you like get the housing manufactured offsite by somebody. And yeah, it's like a couple hundred bucks for the housing, and now they're doing a thousand dollars for like labor and delivery and profit and support. Support. There's like there's yeah. no way I could see the the cost of this thing to them, like their cogs. I could see being three thousand, but I could not see selling it for that price. No, <laughs> unless like they were just getting the company off the ground. Yeah. Yeah, if it's a, you know, to do things that don't scale to build, then sure. But Or they're trying to get Black Magic to make <laughs> that box camera. Well, we all are, and they're just taking a much, uh, a, a much, I don't even know how to describe it. They're taking a much different approach than the rest <laughs> of us. I just complain on this podcast and on Twitter. They're out there <laughs> designing cameras, and I don't even know what's going on. Well, we'll see who gets what they want. I guess we will. It's probably going to be these guys. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Oh, man. This could have been us. I mean, the amount of Kickstarters that we've put together, how come we didn't come up with the idea for a Kickstarter to rehouse Blackmagic cameras? Even we aren't that crazy. And I'm saying that with us having just, you know, come up with this idea for a panoramic camera with a moving lens. This feels crazier than that. I don't know. I mean, what if uh, what if we rehoused uh, Panasonic cameras? <laughs> now that I could get behind. <laughs> I think there's a market for that. Let's get some um, S5 Mark IIs. Yes, and then we can come out with the box version of that camera. I like it, and we'll charge we'll charge like eight thousand dollars. There you go. Yeah, that's that. Uh, that's a more comfortable profit. Mm-hmm, and then once mm-hmm. we figured that out, we can get some old JVC camcorders, and we can take that housing, and we could put the Panasonic camera inside that camcorder, and I can have my dream of having. You know, like a really good Panasonic camcorder. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying that the current available Panasonic camcorders aren't good? <laughs> I don't know if they are or not. I don't know anything <laughs> about them. But it's probably not as good as an S5 Mark II in an old JVC camcorder body. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think I can get behind that. That sounds valid. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have to investigate that and see if that's actually true. I can tell you right now that it's not true. There is not an S5 Mark II in a camcorder body, and it would it would it would definitely be better. <laughs> Jeez, spoilers! <laughs> like you don't even need to look. No. Okay. Fine. That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us, and if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.